Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hangouts and Headlines. It's Thursday, August 18th, 2022, and we're ready to hang out some. I know I sometimes get these placeholders up late, so I apologize for that, but I'm so happy that so many of you have already joined us this morning with a little bit of casual flavor here uh, on Thursday, because frankly, these were articles I wanted to talk about, uh, and I think there's always going to be a little bit of casual flair here in Hangouts and Headlines. It's kind of in the title hanging out, whatnot, having fun. Uh, And certainly we have spent a fair few episodes looking at articles now about Disney+, Plus, about Netflix, about streaming. Uh, And one of the more interesting sets of interview answers that I have seen in what is really a slot for a fluff piece in looking at answers from the writer of Disney Plus's new She-Hulk show, uh, I just thought were really, really enlightening. We'll also see why... Folks really aren't usually that transparent in interviews, right? Which is the catch-22. I love to see real answers. We're all used to watching sports or looking at articles about our favorite movie or television show or heck, book, board game, I don't know, uh, and having the creators of those things be very cautious, be very careful, because honestly, you can get burned by giving answers that aren't helpful in some way. And so we get kind of some variation of corporate speak. uh, And... That's no fun because everybody knows what's going to be said. Oh, yes, I had a very good time working with my colleagues. Oh, it was very challenging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is actually better, what we're going to look at today. But I'm not sure Disney or Marvel would be super thrilled about how it came out. So I want to talk about that one a little bit. And then we're going to talk not on substance, really. Don't worry about it if you prefer seeing Elon Musk stuff in virtual legality proper instead of virtual legality hangouts and headlines edition. Uh, But we are going to talk about how those headlines kind of shift around what's happening in the case uh, in an interesting way. So we're going to talk about rhetoric. We're going to talk about substance. We're going to talk about fun stuff. It's just a typical day in Hangouts and Headlines. So I hope you're excited about it. I want to thank both Lucky and now Carrie Harvey for gifting memberships to the channel. Welcome, new gifted members. Thank you so much to both Lucky and Carrie Harvey. I really appreciate that support for the channel. I would put it on screen, but StreamYard you don't let me put those buttons on stream. You got to help me out here. These people deserve recognition. Um, So let me do that in the future, StreamYard. I'm looking at you. I know you're watching. I know you are watching StreamYard. Outside of that, how is everybody doing? I know we skipped Wednesday. Have to be honest, uh, it was a a great uh, choice for me this week. I got to uh, rest a little bit more in the morning, got to handle a little bit of work. uh, And it was a, a good step for me. I hope it was a good step for you. I did get comments on my Twitter and things like that saying, uh, you know, Wednesdays are lame because we don't get hangouts, which I really appreciate. That means a lot to me. Uh, but I, I've been through this. I've been through the, the the mines here. And I know that if I try to do all five in a row, uh, that it doesn't work, that I that I can't sustain that. So we found a uh, we found a level that I think I can sustain. We've been doing it for a couple of weeks now, uh, a couple of months now, maybe. I don't know. I'd have to look at that. Uh, it all blends together, but I really appreciate you coming in, and I really appreciate the nice things that people say about me and how much they miss me on Wednesday. So thank you so much. Where is everybody hanging out this morning? We got hangouts in Nova Scotia. We've got hangouts in Seattle. We've got hangouts in Odin Planitia today, which based on prior Secret McSquirrel uh, hangout locations is probably in outer space, but I don't know this one. 
Do we think it's real or fictional? It sounds real to me, uh, but I don't have any frame of reference on this one, Secret Miss Coral. Is this in outer space? One, thumb. Do we use the thumb for number one? I don't, I don't know. It's early. Let's do number one. Uh, is it in outer space? Is it real or is it fictional? I have many questions. Good morning, Hangouts in Germany. Good morning, B. Hope you're having a good time. You said morning, but it's not morning in Germany, right? I like it. You're meeting me where I live. I will try to meet you where you live. Uh, good morning from mostly Coruscant. Now, I'm betting that's a reference to playing the Old Republic, the MMO. I believe it has Coruscant in that game. I haven't played it in a while, but I think Coruscant's in that game. So hopefully you're having fun playing MMOs, listening to me, listening to me talk about She-Hulk and Elon Musk. There is a satirical skit in there somewhere, I think, based on Elon Musk's proclivities and wanderings on the earth and She-Hulk. I think there's something there. We're going to let that percolate while we uh, have this entire episode. Uh, good morning, Midnight Dreary from Northwest Montana. I wanted to visit Montana. It, it looks uh, it looks really cool. Uh, good morning from Michigan. Good morning from Michigan for me, but good morning from Michigan also from you. Knoxville, Tennessee, Munich, Germany, Dorset, United Kingdom, Dorset, Dorset, don't know, Paris, France, good morning, Paris, my daughters want to visit you, <laughs> love, 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 hangouts and headlines with the Hoags, that's right, co-counsel is in the chat, as she often is, say hi to her if you see her in the chat, uh, Uncivil, Kurt is visiting South Carolina, uh, which I had to prevent myself from putting into a Carolinan accent there, as I usually refer to the Carolinas in. Would not be appropriate because my accents are terrible, everybody. Uh, as my family well knows, uh, good morning, Alabama's Gulf Coast and the Netherlands and Boston, Massachusetts and Fairfax and Niagara Falls, Ontario side. Very cool. Uh, what do we got here? Uh, Sardinism says, hey, Mrs. Hoglaw, I had board games on Tuesday. I love the way this starts already with a friend who now lives in Michigan and with a work friend at lunch would love Wednesdays, but need people to play with. That's the thing, right? Getting board games to the table, board games, almost always fun, almost always entertaining between friends and colleagues. Sometimes it takes a little convincing to get people to come to that board game table. By the way, since I mentioned it earlier, when folks were asking for board game recommendations, my wife and I did finish the campaign of the initiative, uh, which was about 14 missions. So we actually played the initiative 14 times because we were having so much fun. Uh, and it is a fantastic game. Super highly recommended, uh, if, especially if you like ciphers, codes, cracking them um, and in, in, enjoying them. I, I don't know. Some of them got a little bit hard. Mostly they're staying in the pocket for solvable, but a little bit tricky. Uh, and I highly recommend the game. And there's a post campaign. It's got a new game plus, folks. Spoilers. Uh, so lots of fun there. Good morning, Utah. Uh, let's see. Uh, did I miss whether it's fictional, co-counsel? I don't. I, I, I need to know. I, fictional, real? Uh, Darth Shady Lavalin is also on Narshada. So Coruscant and Narshada doing the tour of uh, the Star Wars universe. Uh, Odin Planitia is apparently a basin on the planet Mercury. All right. Secret McSquirrel is giving us geography lessons on a solar system-wide basis. Thank you, Secret McSquirrel. I hope you're doing well this morning. Um, good morning from Brazil. Very cold today. Hella cold today, actually. We've got to get into like that clueless vernacular. 
Um, the movie. That's not a commentary on you, Rex, was he? Uh, <laughs> first time listening in from Quebec, Canada. Love it. Uh, my wife is talking about plants with people in chat. Uh, we got a super chat. Always appreciate the support. Thank you so very much. Uh, beat moral improve. Good morning from Seattle, where air conditioning is still considered a luxury. More caffeine needed. That's right. If you do have your caffeinated beverage or whatever else you drink to start your day, I've got some nice tea here, as always, prepared by co-counsel Mrs. Hoglaw. Thank you, honey. And it does help you wake up just a little bit. Um, I'd love to hear you try pronouncing my city in the Netherlands. Happy smiley face, winky emoji. Oh, oh, right now. Nuwegein. 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 We're going with Nuwegein. How'd I do? Close? No? Probably not. That's my fault, not yours. But I gave it a try. Good morning from Edmonton, Alberta. Good morning from Boston. Good morning from Palo Alto. It is real early morning in Palo Alto. We'll probably fall asleep at some point and join the replay crew later. Big toothy smile emoji. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's real early. Uh, good morning from where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. Also, land of the Sooners. Football. Yeah, college football is on its way. We don't want to get sucked into that rabbit hole just yet. Folks have recommended a Monday kind of focus on college football uh, in the fall. Maybe. Don't know. I don't know how many people could stand uh, just college football conversations on, on Mondays during the season, but you'll probably get at least a little bit of it from me. Good morning from Lansing. Used to live in East Lansing, uh, so had a, had a home up there. Hi from South Africa. Uh, the Wednesday break is a great indicator. We've passed the midweek mark. Yeah, kind of creating a little flagpole in the calendar. Once Hangouts and Headlines returns, it's all downhill towards the weekend. Downhill in a good way. Biking downhill, getting the wind in your air, having a fun time. Uh, absolutely. Right on to the weekend. Uh, every time I play board games, says Callista, I'm trying to break out Arkham Horror. Great game. Many editions. My favorite's actually Eldritch Horror. We could talk about that at some time. And all my friends run away because they don't want to play a four-hour game. <laughs> so little dedication in my group. Wide open smile emoji. Yeah, that can happen. It's a little trickier to get the big, long, beefy games to the table. Certainly the initiative, one of the reasons it worked for us is because a game is somewhere between a half hour and an hour. Uh, and it does have a just one more game kind of quality to it. So we played a couple in a row a few times. Uh, we were enjoying ourselves so much. The initiative has a one-player option. Oh, yeah, you could definitely play it in one player. Um, there, there's no question there. Most cooperative games can pretty easily be collapsed into one player. Now, some games are better being one player than others. Like if you have to forehand a game, that's not super fun, in my opinion. Uh, and some other games work that kind of concept better because the initiative allows you to play basically any number of players that you want. It works pretty well at whatever level you want. Uh, Darshady Lavalin with the super chat. Thank you so much. She-Hulk enjoys a new musk. Oh, God. Close eyes emoji, but it's a perfume. Hey, you know what? That could have been the title. I had it in my head. I wanted it to be the Incredible She-Hulk, uh, and it was going to be the Incredible She-Hulk interview, uh, and then uh, I, I just like featuring Elon Musk like he's in a rap album or something like that. Uh, but in any event, I appreciate the super chat. That's some good punning. Uh, and yeah, before this episode started, I wanted to have at least some baseline for this interview. So I did watch like three quarters of the pilot of the She-Hulk show. Um, and it 
it's not bad. I don't think it's going to be terribly kind to lawyers. I don't know that anything really is usually. We're going to talk about some of the answers, so we'll we'll see that uh, in effect. And it seems to be, uh, let's let's say, not my brand of comedy. <laughs> Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit if you're interested in, cause I've, I've watched 32 minutes of 37 or something like that. Um, uh, let's see board games, snakes and ladders. Hey, you know what? The classics are classic for a reason. Uh, and you want to meet people at the level that they play board games on. So if you got, you know, a youngster, somebody that wants to play games, but, uh, you don't want to break out Arkham horror at them. Well, you got to get them invested in the concept of strategic thinking and board game play with something like. Snakes and Ladders or Shoots and Ladders, depending on what era uh, you're looking at that from. Highly recommend it. I've got uh, I've got Latitude and Longitude for uh, uh, Odin Planitia on Mercury. So we got that going for us. Quite the morning, everybody. Thank you for that, uh, Secret McSquirrel. Um, I'm good at being a Monday morning quarterback. Rolling on the floor laughing emoji. Sure, we'll, we'll, we will judge everything that happened in football uh, the weekend before and just judge them on Monday morning. We'll start running a sports radio talk show. Hangouts and headlines different each season. Get excited! Yeah, I can I can do the I can do the sports radio voice. Uh, I haven't watched She Hulk yet, but I'm tempted because I love uh, Tatiana Maslany. She's great. <laughs> I know. Uh, so one thing I can say, I, I have some issues with the writing and some of the stuff they've done already. I'm critical. What can I say? Uh, but she's fantastic. She's fantastic in everything I've ever seen her in. So she is continuing to be very strong. Uh, good morning from Austria. Here's my opportunity to procrastinate work. Close your eyes, emoji, laugh emoji while you do it. Um, yeah, well, don't tell your boss. I don't want to be responsible for procrastination. Uh, but uh, yeah, also, yeah, have fun. Relax a little bit. Uh, always wanted to play board games, says Andy Weldon, but never had anyone to play with. Kind of grumpy, sad emoji. Never too late, just not from board game people. Shrug emoji. Yeah, well, the good news is if you are all inclined, there are meetups and things that you can find online, folks getting together at Panera's and playing board games and whatnot. Um, so I highly recommend that, checking that out uh, if you're so interested. Otherwise, I like to drag family members in against their will. So if you have that as an option, uh, that is always on the table. And sometimes I find if you just set up a board game in some place that's really inconvenient, like the kitchen table, uh, and then say, well, I can't take it down. I spent all this time putting it together. You can force, like, I don't know, your co-counsel to play the game with you in order to get their kitchen table back. I'm just saying. It can happen. It's a functional way to get to play some board games if you're so interested. Good morning, Hoags. Good morning, Elon61. Pretty good name for today's episode. Hi, says Nita or Nida. Uh, good morning from Sacramento. Yesterday was my birthday. Can I get a shout out in the voice of nobody? Friends, happy birthday, Arshtina. Happy birthday. House on the Hill, Betrayal May Be Required, is fantastic as a gateway into the whatever horror games you want to play. Arkham, Eldritch, other. Uh, yes, uh, Betrayal is a very good game to play. And if you've got young kids, you can play a betrayal version with Scooby-Doo characters that is a little bit chiller, a little bit less grisly uh, than uh, betrayal specifically. Uh, so it's a wonderful game. It also gets you into, if you like that Lawyers and Dragons kind of style, it gets you into a little bit of very light role-playing because you do have a traitor element and you do have uh, more fun if you can get into the storytelling aspect, because, well, frankly, not everything in Betrayal is fair. So you're not really playing a fair, let's see who wins kind of board game there. Uh, the girl who plays She-Hulk is from my hometown, Tatiana Maslany. 
and went you went to high school with her fantastic yeah she was great in orphan black in the first half hour she hooked she's great she is a very charismatic uh actress uh and and very good at what she does so i i can definitely tell you that that's already going to be a positive uh for the show uh good evening from japan eating mcdo probably mcdonald's right now rolling on the floor laughing emoji uh the board game dungeon is how we got our into the kids to dnd got our kids into the dnd uh, yeah, yeah. I think there's all sorts of ways to kind of get involved in board gaming more. I think my kids first kind of really got into a game called Forbidden Island, which has you kind of journeying to an island that slowly sinks, uh, that are tiles that get flooded and sink into the sea. Uh, and uh, engaging with that was a lot of fun for them. So that's that's a good one for youngsters. I gave away my Arkham Horror board game to a coworker. It's fair. You want to spread the love. If it's not getting to the table as much in your house, you want to make sure it does somewhere. That's how the board games know they are loved. If Pixar were to make a game and put googly eyes on board games, that's what they would want. They would want to be played with. So don't feel too bad. Don't feel too many regrets there. Hey, Hoglaw, says Mrs. Hoglaw. What's a good starter strategy game for kids? Forbidden Island. Uh, <laughs> um, if you're looking for something more strategic than that, I might recommend a deck builder. Uh, the problem is it depends on what kind of kids we're talking about because the big barrier is reading and reading comprehension, right? So Forbidden Island has the advantage of not using words. Um, so it's a good game. It has a lot of good strategic elements. It's cooperative. So you avoid the kind of win loss issue uh, at the table uh, and it uh, doesn't, it uses pictures. Uh, so I recommend that one uh, for kiddos. Uh, and then going up from there, I think you want to have games that have fewer components. Uh, so Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, I would start there, um, and then I would move on. But uh, those are the games I would recommend. Board games are the best, says Sarah H. I love roping my small chicklets in and forcing them to play with me. Rolling on the floor, laughing emoji. Just normal laughing emoji with tears in your eyes, stars in your eyes emoji. Morning, Mr. and Mrs. Hogue. Morning, Sarah. Absolutely, right? At least at some level. You have kids, so you can bring them to the board game table, right? No? Okay. <laughs> Finally made it to one of these for the first time in a while, says Elizabeth Mullins. Good morning, Elizabeth. I hope you're having a good one already today. Uh, proud Saskatchewan girl. Awesome. Love it, Shopaholic. Uh, good morning from Denver. Hoglaw's favorite pro football team. I'm a Michigan native through and through. I have the Lions. Now, the Lions have won a single playoff game in my entire lifetime. I did attend a playoff game of the Detroit Lions, and they got smacked around. I remember that uh, from me and a kid. I went with my dad. It wasn't pleasant as a fan of the Lions. But uh, assuming you can separate yourself emotionally from the results of their games, uh, they're, they're, they're a lovable bunch. The bad news bears of, of football. And so... I, I can enjoy watching them. Just don't live or die by their results or else you'll die pretty darn quick. Um, can't believe that uh, Tasha was the same actress from the last season from Instant Star. I don't know that show. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Okay, interesting. Uh, Hogue board game traps. You just you just set up the board game in an inconvenient location. That's all. Uh, that's all. Uh, Hogue Law, holding the kitchen table hostage for board games. Smiling, laughing emoji. Hey, we we do we do what we have to do. 
I don't advise forcing people. I just encourage them through situations that are otherwise deleterious to whatever it is that they otherwise would seek to accomplish. What? Board games. We know we're going to have more fun playing a board game. There's a Scooby-Doo version of Betrayal. Yes, there is, because I own it. Uh, definitely check it out. Um, let's see here. Uh, sure did. She's incredibly talented. Been doing production since she was little. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. She's clearly the best part of She-Hulk so far. Um, what else here? Haha, ha, and the Lions. Hey, they're enjoyable on Hard Knocks. Yeah, people seem to be really liking them on Hard Knocks. I got to rotate back into HBO+. Plus. Um, it's not Plus, is it? HBO Max. They should just, just unify this. They're all pluses, people. Um, and HBO is probably doing that since they're going to become Discovery+. Plus. Pollyanna, for really little kiddos, outfoxed. Bigger ones, Castle Panic or My Little Scythe or Ticket to Ride. See, my issue with Ticket to Ride, which is one of the more popular board games on Earth, is that there is very little interaction between the players. Um, and so I don't like it as much as some. I prefer there to be, you know, the need for table discussions, for having those conversations. Uh, but Ticket to Ride is one that is really, really beloved by a lot of people. So you don't have to take my word for it. I don't match up with what's popular on a lot of games. Um, so Ticket to Ride, I definitely recommend. I'm not familiar with Outfox. I do know Castle Panic. It's like a tower defense kind of board game, um, which is interesting as well. Not one that I own personally, uh, but I have played it. Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely check out those games recommended by Pollyanna. Thank you so much for the super chat and the support of the channel. Uh, Rebecca says, it'll happen, Hogue. Been a Rams fan my whole life. We've had more bad years than good ones. Rebecca, you have won at least two, if not more, Super Bowls in like the last 25 years. This is way better than the Lions. <laughs> you have Kurt Warner. You have Matt Stafford. We, we just gave you Matt Stafford, and he just goes and wins you a Super Bowl, which I don't blame him for, and I'm proud of him. I'm, I'm happy that he got to do that. I'm happy that it worked out for you and your Rams. Uh, but, yeah, the Lions are a, are a cut below. You've heard of a cut above. The Lions are a cut below. But I appreciate you trying to buoy me on this. I have no problem loving my loser Lions. Um, it's just a matter of not expecting much from them. God, if they ever get even close to being good, I, talk to me emotionally about that as it happens. Um, oof, uh, can't believe Hoag skipped my super chat. Skew, did I? It's possible. Uh, I try to roll through these as best I can. We'll go back in time here. Here you go, Skew. I apologize. Thank you for letting me know. On related law news, my country's ex-prime minister is going to jail for CBT and graft soon. Malaysia's 1MDB scandal, Wolf of Wall Street, ring a bell. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. That sounds like an intense situation for your country's ex-prime minister. Um, but no, I hadn't heard about it. I uh, I think that that's, Yeah. That's that's a lot to take. Sorry, Skew. I sorry I missed it. Sometimes what happens here behind the scenes is that I get far enough behind talking to people uh, that the uh, streamyard tries to be helpful and forward me to the end. Uh, and so I have to remember to kind of scroll back a ways and make sure that I have checked for anything that would have been in the middle of that area. And so when I miss one, that's usually what has happened. But I do my best. And I apologize for not getting to it earlier. Uh, and some people in the chat know that they have, uh, they know the scandal, they say. So uh, you can definitely chat with them as well. Kate R says, I've taken to ignoring NFL stuff. Washington hasn't been good since I was five. Has an even worse mascot than when they had no mascot. 
and college is more fun these days. See Clemson. That's right. The AP poll came out in college football. Clemson very highly rated even after a tough year last year. So we will see how they do. Um, certainly I'm excited for the Michigan football season and we'll see how they do. Uh, appreciate the super chat callback says skew. No need to apologize. Hey, I missed it. I can apologize. We're human beings. I'm not going to castigate myself over it, but I appreciate you calling it out and I will always try to get it done. If I can get it done, if I see things, I could have missed your second chat. Uh, so I appreciate, I appreciate, uh, uh, the, uh, the acceptance of that, but I always want to do the best I can. So no problem at all. Kurt's very excited about Clemson and their college football season. Clemson for life, he says. And Clemson's had a lot of very recent success uh, in playing college football. So I think that's a good morning hangout section. Thank you, everybody, for chatting with me about board games and super chats and support and everything else. Let's talk about what's on everybody's mind, really. I think this has dominated both the political and social landscape. And that is, of course, She-Hulk. So here we have an interview uh, in Variety, uh, right? And this obviously isn't the most important thing in the world, but I'm really interested in looking at interviews like this one because for the most part, as I said early on in the video, these are fluff. These are nothing. These are, hey, our show is cool. Here's why you should get excited about it. And this one turned in a little something different. So we got Variety. It is an industry kind of outlet, industry kind of paper. We got a picture of She-Hulk here. We talked in this space about Marvel VFX, visual effects, artists being upset about treatment or at least representing that on the internet. Who knows? We take everything with a grain of salt when it's anonymously sourced. Uh, but that this has been a topic of conversation, including very specifically the CGI in She-Hulk. So they're going to get asked a question about this. And it's a question that I don't think is going to be very well thought of by people that are already kind of inclined to criticize Marvel. But that's the show. Launches today. If you have Disney+, Plus, its premiere episode is out right now. It, Like I said, I have certain issues with it. It's not really my brand of comedy. Um, and it, um, it proselytizes a little bit much in certain places. You'll see uh, if you watch it. Uh, but uh, She-Hulk herself, uh, Tatiana Mislany, is great. It's fantastic. You've got Mark Ruffalo in there for what I imagine is probably only the pilot episode of the show, but I don't know any more than you do. Um, and it is um, it is interesting. Uh, so there's been a lot of questions about the show. This is the writer, a woman by the name of Jessica Gao, uh, and she is asked a number of questions about this. We're going to skip plot-related details. We're going to skip anything that's remotely spoiler-esque. They kind of talk a little bit about what the season's going to be about. Skipping all that. Um, but you can check it out. The link is in the description to the video. And it talks at first about what kind of show this is. All of it is in service to something Marvel's never quite attempted before. While WandaVision used the tropes of sitcoms as a metaphor for coping with trauma, uh, it's giving a lot of credit to WandaVision. I'm not sure there was a metaphor there, but I digress. She-Hulk is the studio's first outright TV comedy. So, I will say this, 33 minutes in, 32 minutes in, whatever it is that I've watched so far, it is far closer to what we might otherwise call a dramedy than it is a straight-up comedy, right? A straight-up comedy is, you know, jokes a minute and really has no kind of uh, grounding at all. There are a number of dramatic scenes already uh, in the first episode of She-Hulk and a number of uh, kind of important beats that they would like to impart to the audience so I generally consider that as a dramedy, 
which is a phrase that means nothing except that it's kind of a lighthearted drama. Um, and so that's what I would characterize this is so far. Who knows? Maybe it gets even crazier as the season goes on, but I'm not sure I would call it an outright TV comedy. That happens to star a six foot seven green hole created through complex and expensive performance capture CGI. Now remember expensive, that's going to come back. Uh, Gao talked with Variety about the false starts and last minute changes that she and her fellow writers navigated while tackling that challenge, as well as the most surprising thing Marvel Studios chief Kevin Feige told her while making the show. That is a bad bit of kind of, I don't know, it's whatever the equivalent of clickbait is for reading more of the article, engagement bait. Um, that's it, This is nothing. So don't, don't worry about that. So what was your initial pitch for She-Hulk? <clears throat> and here's where the line that Variety used to pitch this on Twitter drew some attention. It's actually what brought me into this article. So good on you, Variety PR. Uh, but it does sound pretty crazy. So if you don't know, She-Hulk, the full name of the show is She-Hulk attorney at law and it's about she-hulk being a lawyer specifically like a super powered individual lawyer <clears throat> and i don't know anymore because they don't really go into that in the first episode but here was the pitch my pitch for the show is pretty close to the show that you're watching all the kind of key foundational elements were there abomination was always in the pitch bruce was always in the pitch i didn't know if i could use them i didn't know what the relationship was to abomination anymore which is like a big evil hulk if you don't remember that from the movies but i thought you know what this is what I want, so I'll just pitch it. Thankfully, they liked all of it. When I went in, it definitely skewed a lot more heavily towards Blonsky's trial. So Blonsky is abomination. It was skewing towards the trial because, again, this is She-Hulk, attorney at law. In my original pitch, it was an actual trial, and it spanned multiple episodes. Sure, it's a trial. It's a lawyer show. When we got into the writer's room, inevitably things change as you're developing the show and as you start writing. Absolutely. Right, You don't know everything completely when you're starting any kind of creative process, including writing a TV show. But this last line is what Variety used to bring people into the article. And I have to admit, it's a little bit crazy for the writer of a legal show to say. And one thing that we all realized very slowly, dragging the rest of the writer's room in with that we all, was that none of us are that adept at writing, you know, rousing trial scenes. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about this line, one of which is I really like the transparency here, right? This is a creative working at something that is going to be very marketed. We see combinations of things like the Toyota hybrid cars uh, saying go green with She-Hulk driving a Toyota online. We have all these various marketing things. This is Disney at full power. And yet the lead writer of this legal show that is pitched as a legal show goes out to variety and says, we're not very adept at writing rousing trial scenes. Wow. I guess one set your expectations accordingly. So some people came to me when I first commented on this article and said, well, maybe they're just trying to get in front of some of the issues uh, with the show. And I don't know, I don't have enough uh, background on the episodes because they're not out yet. Uh, it's possible, but I can't imagine that the bullet points, the talking points, the what you wanted this person to go out with to an outlet like Variety included, as it turned out, we weren't very good at writing trials. <laughs> wow. Right? Wow. So so don't expect that. Um, hopefully they don't try, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Do you want them to strive? Uh, but also, I, I can't speak to this specifically, but she's the lead writer here. 
I would imagine that she had some capacity or information about filling her writer's room uh, for this show. And I don't know, don't you find somebody that maybe wrote for Law and Order or maybe wrote for Ally McBeal or maybe wrote for something, Boston Legal, that otherwise does a rousing trial scene? Because here's the other aspect of this. Trial scenes are not hard because there's inherent drama in them. There's inherent winners and inherent losers. They have a specific kind of structure. So all writing is hard at some level, but trials and that formula have a certain amount of mm, advantage. It's kind of easy mode for some of this stuff because you have those stakes set up dramatically within the structure itself. Um, so that's how you can get you know, William Shatner or James Spader giving huge speeches every week on Boston Legal or any other legal program. That's why there are so many is because it's inherently a structured, more easy story to tell. Uh, and so that's that's all unusual. So this is what kind of you're, you're reading this interview goes, oh, wow, this person is being very honest, <laughs> very honest to variety, not trying to hide their situation at all. And that's a good thing for us. Is it a good thing for Marvel and Disney? Reasonable minds can differ. I tend to think it isn't. Some folks think they're trying to get ahead of what might be some issues with the show itself. I don't know. I can't speak to that. But this is what jumped out uh, and said, huh, that is very, very interesting. But yes, if everybody answered at this level, I'm not I'm not going to throw this uh, writer under the bus. Be transparent. That's how we get real information. We're not in that room. That's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to try to not judge it based on, hey, you know, we can't write trial scenes. Uh, but wow. Wow. Right. Um, and then there's some, uh, Hey, wh what was your inspiration for she Hulk? Uh, we got a little stuff here about kind of the changes that happen again. I don't think this is a problem. You've already said it in my mind that you're being transparent about this kind of stuff. It sounds a little bit bad for process here, but it is interesting. So they break the fourth wall, uh, in she Hulk a lot, which I suspect you all know as a, as a kind of metaphor, but it means that she talks directly to the audience through the camera. Uh, at least a few times. Uh, and this writer says, I love fourth wall breaking. And if I had my druthers, it would just be nonstop. And it really was kind of nonstop in the early phases. It was so much that Marvel was like, okay, calm down. This is too much. I might've really overdone it because at a certain point, they even asked me to do a version where there was no fourth wall breaking. I really love editor's notes in comics. And so for a span of probably several months, there was going to be editor's notes that kind of popped up in little text boxes on the screen. And she would actually acknowledge the editor's box and argue with the person who was writing the notes. Then we scrapped all of that and decided, okay, let's just let her break the fourth wall. But you know, not as much. Now, I don't have an issue with this answer at all because it's unclear exactly at what point in the process all this was happening, right? Like if you've got months of having editor's notes and it's right up until when you're starting to film or things like that, maybe that's an issue. Uh, but it's not clear at all that that was in fact the case. So I've seen some people kind of get on her for this type of stuff. I don't think so. I think this is kind of normal development. What works, what doesn't work, what works for the licensor, right? I know you work for Marvel at this point in time, so there's not really a licensor licensee relationship, but it has that same kind of concept. Hey, Marvel controls its IP, wants to protect its IP. How do you make them happy with what you are doing with their IP and with the IP that they're going to pay millions of dollars to put a CGI character in, right? That kind of thing. How do you approach the tone for the show, knowing you were making a light comedy in the middle of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I knew exactly the tone that I wanted for the show from the outset. My favorite type of comedy is taking a very high concept thing, like an extraordinary being who is a Hulk, and then grounding them in the minutia of everyday life. That's the funniest thing to me, taking an Avenger who just yesterday saved the entire universe from destruction, but today on a Wednesday, they have to do laundry. Now, 
I think this is a perfectly fine way to think of comedy for some folks, and I think it's going to work for a number of people. So if you're interested in this at all, please do check out the show yourself. To me, this is basically all Marvel does. Marvel really only, pardon my French, seeks to take the piss out of itself at basically all times, right? Like that is the method that they decide to use. Oh, isn't this silly? Aren't we being ironic here? All meta commentary all the time. So this isn't really that original for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And honestly, I'm a little bit over it. Um, no, I'm, I'm a lot over it. You see it in Thor. You see it here in She-Hulk. You'll see it in the pilot episode. This kind of concept that it's all ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, why don't you just laugh along with us? And so I do think this isn't going to work for me long term. But I like Tatiana. I like uh, that particular kind of uh, acting style that she does. I think she's going to be a good She-Hulk. But... From what I've seen already, probably not going to stick with it for long. Apologies, Disney Plus. I, you just can't please me. I'm too difficult. I'm sorry. Uh, but that's that that jumps out. Hey, that's the tone. And then this is an interesting one itself, right? So I don't know if you need to be of a certain age here. Uh, Jessica Gao thinks you do. But the question is, in an early episode, Allie McBeal is playing on a TV at a bar. Now, if you don't know Allie McBeal, hey, who can blame you? Uh, Jessica says basically the writers didn't know Allie McBeal. Uh, Allie McBeal was a show on, I want to say, Fox starring Callista Flockhart, uh, who was a lawyer, but that it was done in a very kind of comedy, fantasy, dramedy level. So you had the stakes of trials and things like that, but it was primarily about this particular lawyer making her way through life and occasionally having legal stories. Uh, and whatnot. So as you can tell from just what we've described in She-Hulk Attorney at Law already, uh, yeah, Ellie McBeal is an obvious touch point for that. And everybody who sees the show can see that. Well, not everybody, because the writers didn't see that. So they say, hey, look, you've got Ellie McBeal on in a bar. That must be a reference to one of your inspirations, right? No. For the writers, it actually was not. We never really talked about Ellie McBeal or referenced her because I would say most of our writer's room was a little bit on the young side to have really known that show during its heyday. Ouch. But yes, people can't help but make the comparison to Allie McBeal. So Allie McBeal playing in the bar was a choice made during post-production. Look at this passive voice. Is that a choice made by her? Or a choice made by Marvel? Or a choice made by Disney? Or somebody else? Look at this passive voice. This entire answer is kind of weird. It almost sounds, reading between the lines, that it's a little bit resentful of the fact that it is a comparison point because this has clearly been asked of her before. And she's like, no, we didn't use Ally McBeal at all. Now, you might say, if you're writing a dramedy about a 30-something woman making her way in the legal field and you want to treat it as more comedy fantasy than drama specifically, that the obvious reference point would be Ally McBeal and that in general, I think we expect our writers to go and, you know, at least look at what has come before and engage with it on that level. Here, we have it as so obvious that it's a similar in tone kind of concept that post-production puts in the reference and the writers didn't do it at all. And I don't know whether this is being fair uh, here. Like I said, I love this transparency. This does make me think, oh, that's that's weird. You're not referencing the thing that's obvious. And I don't mean referencing by like, putting references to Allie McBeal, and I don't care about a TV in a bar. I mean, like, actually using what came before to improve upon it, to see what's happened since, you know, the 90s and now, uh, and to otherwise engage with that material and just skip it entirely and say, well, when everybody brings it up, somebody put it on in a bar 
uh, after in post-production. It wasn't in the script. It's like, well, I mean, okay. So I don't know, chat, you tell me, do you have to be of a certain age to have enjoyed Ally McBeal? They referenced that it's not, they weren't around during the heyday uh, of Ally McBeal. Okay, sure. Um, but it really was a big deal for a, a period of time. And this show is, is obviously trying to capture that kind of feel. Were there any other shows, legal or otherwise, that were an inspiration beyond what we've talked about? They actually referenced the American Crime Story miniseries, The People versus O.J. Simpson, which is wild uh, because that particular show, which is enjoyable, is predominantly done by movie stars pretending to be other stars and things that we recognize, again, from the 90s. So while that show is newer, it's referencing material from you know a similar period to when Ally McBeal is on. So it's kind of an interesting combination of answers here. But the overall thrust is that they wanted to talk about things happening outside the courtroom and not just in the courtroom, which I guess makes sense if you don't believe you can write trial scenes. How much were you brought inside the process of creating She-Hulk through visual effects to understand the complicated logistics of what it would take to film and then render? Um, not as much as I would have liked. This is an interesting answer given what Marvel has experienced in terms of criticism as well. When we were writing the show, I didn't think anybody really knew exactly how we were going to do this CGI character. It was kind of uncharted territory. Something of this scale had never been done before. It was a lot of just figuring it out as we went along. Marvel is this kind of machine. VFX is one of those things where they already have their own way of doing things. The machine just gets rolling. You can try to insert yourself as much as you can, but at a certain point, you're forced to get out of the way. And this matches up with so many of the complaints against Marvel already. Their house style, where everything blends together, the way directors and writers and showrunners are kind of pushed to the side to really have everything be a, a Marvel TV show or even a Marvel movie uh, in concept, uh, in the way that they make everything that they make. And also, you can't change anything, that it's all up to Marvel and their internal processes. And VFX artists, for instance, be damned, at least as they tell the story, as we've discussed in this space. So how conscious were you of that machine in writing the She-Hulk scenes, understanding how much it would cost and what you could accomplish? What was the back and forth there? I had produced television before, said Ms. Gao. So there's always a part of my brain that's wearing the television producer's hat of costs and imagining a line producer screaming at me and blaming me for their ulcer. So going into writing this, I was very aware of that, but I also had no clue how much the CG cost. I just knew CG was expensive. CG is very expensive, but there's a lot of questions about whether they pull it off here. From the beginning, I asked Kevin Feige, how much can we do? How cost conscious should I be? Give me some guidelines. This is the writer asking the head of Marvel for, hey, please, I've produced shows before. Let me know how much I should not be including the transformed She-Hulk so that we make sure everything gets done properly. And he says, if I'm going to watch a show called She-Hulk, I want to see She-Hulk, which sounds to me, certainly sound to Ms. Gao here, that that means put her in as much as necessary as She-Hulk. That kind of was the carte blanche to just write it however I wanted. And I remember distinctly thinking, I hope we remember this conversation and the budgets come back and somebody gets mad at me for it. What happened when those budgets did come back? Were you asked to reshape things so you weren't spending as much money? Yes. Once we got into pre-production and production itself, once somebody had to sit down and start figuring out the cost of everything, remembering this answer up here, it was like every week I was told, 
Can you cut more She-Hulk scenes? Can you change more She-Hulk scenes to Jen? That's her kind of human name. Can she be Jen in more scenes? There were a lot of things that then had to be changed at the last minute to go from She-Hulk to Jen. Even in post-production, you know, we had to cut a lot of shots by virtue just because it was She-Hulk. So again, this speaks of a broken process. And this matches up again with what those VFX artists and concerns were about how they don't fix things in, in specificity for their movies or their television shows, that they move on uh, without explaining what visual effects they even want. Uh, and this sounds like Kevin Feige wants to be the good godfather up there saying, oh, yes, no, I want to see She-Hulk. Do whatever you want. And then the people actually figuring out how to pay for this thing is like, no, no, it can't be She-Hulk. It's got to be the actress. No, 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 no. And it creates this situation where you have these massive changes, which is even kind of more of an issue because as we see here in the next answer, did anything else change? Most of the pilot that you see was actually the last episode of the season. So if you think about this, you've got VFX artists that are already put upon. You've got the head of the studio saying, yeah, yeah, put in as much She-Hulk as you want. You've got the people paying for those VFX artists saying, no, no, you can't do that. And then you've got a effects-heavy last episode that would have had effectively two more months to get done with visual effects, moved up to the pilot episode seemingly last minute. We're going to talk about crunch in just a second. Now, with all that as kind of background to the answers here in this interview, you also have acknowledgement of that particular crunch, right? Why did that happen? At the end of the day, we just realized people wanted to know that information sooner. In fact, it's pretty clunky in the pilot episode. They just take a scene and they say, I guess you're probably going to want to want to know my backstory in one of those fourth wall breaking things. And then they go into the backstory. And then Variety says, hey, since that came up in post-production, I imagine one of the reasons why you would have had those sequences at episode eight is that you have more time to work on visual effects, especially since you've got so much CG heavy stuff in that episode. Was that part of the VFX crunch that was happening? Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was, by the way, is that I don't actually know the answer to this question, uh, but probably, yeah. Switching that up, I'm sure, made people scramble. The VFX artists just have to do an impossible task in general. You know, like, this is such a massive undertaking, and they're already under such a crunch. So in this article, you've got acknowledgement of the issue, but saying, yeah, I guess, I'm sure it was. We figure these things out. And then you get into kind of the theme stuff. And I'm not going to go into this with too much specificity, except to remind you, that we were just talking about the fact that in post-production, they have to change scenes from somebody being She-Hulk to just being the actress. And you have an answer like this, where they say a big theme of the show is identity. Jen is in this unique position where she experiences both sides of identity and sense of self. She gets to retain her consciousness, but she can change into two completely different physical beings. It changes all of her relationships. It changes the way every single person on earth perceives her and treats her. And she has to grapple with the idea of, I can see for real that this person is treating me differently because of my physical body. How does that work if you're changing which identity she's in in post, right? Like, I hope this show works and I hope it works for at least somebody that they just really love this and this becomes their favorite show. I want everything to be good. But if you're talking about this conceptually and then you're talking about the realities of the situation, which is you're changing which persona she's in for monetary reasons, especially with the post-production kind of reference. How does this work? How do you maintain thematic consistency? I hope they did. I hope they do uh, throughout the rest of the show. But this is the kind of thing that gives you pause. So you've got like at least five or six answers now in a variety interview 
that give you pause. This is why I go out there and say, hey, I'm not sure Marvel or Disney would like much of this. You also have reference here to the fact they weren't allowed to use Spider-Man adjacent characters. Uh, that's because Sony has the license rights to them and apparently doesn't allow them in, I would guess, TV productions uh, as opposed to those movies. Uh, and then you have some stuff about whether Steve Rogers is a virgin, uh, which is apparently a running joke through the series. Uh, and that's what Kevin Feige answered for her. Hmm. There you go. So that's the interview I found so very interesting, primarily because it seems to be so honest for one of these things uh, where you're otherwise just supposed to go out there and say everything's good. There's a lot of fun making it. All the actors are good. The VFX artists are amazing, et cetera, et cetera. That's not really what happened here. So good on Ms. Gal for actually answering the questions. I'm not sure she'll ever be allowed to ever again. We will see. But what do you all think before we move on to Elon Musk, which is always a topic of conversation here in Virtual Reality? What do you think of that interview? Do you like the transparency? Are you concerned at all about the show from those answers? What do you think? And uh, while you're putting those thoughts together, I got a couple of super chats that came in during that article. Nicholas Starro says, if the story is good, I can live with funky CGI. Oh, absolutely. Right. We've talked about this in other contexts before, but there's a whole host of things that I watched that had terrible special effects. We are constantly suspending our disbelief to watch these shows or even movies. And so, yeah, if it's a well-told story with interesting characters and whatnot, the special effects are whatever the special effects are. Honestly, everything that we watch right now that we are otherwise impressed by probably will look uh, dated and problematic 30 years in the future anyway. So you got to start with the good story. And I got my concerns there based on the answers in that interview. Thank you for the super chat and for supporting the channel. Just because, thank you for the super chat, I worry that the writer's room wasn't vetted or diverse enough to have the background for it or didn't take the initiative to try to find comparable works for reference, but I'll try watching. That's the weirdest thing, right? If you're in charge of a multi-million dollar television show and it's patently obvious that you're making something in the same vein as another massively successful historical TV show, don't you at least check in on it? Don't you at least take inspiration from it? Isn't that kind of the role of getting the background necessary to do the writing on one of these yourself. So I'm not saying you had to have watched Ally McBeal, but at bare minimum, it seems like you should be acknowledging the fact that it's obviously in the same vein and maybe building in those things for yourself. The writer's room being too young for it is unusual in, its, in itself because if you're a television writer, if you're a creative in whatever medium, aren't you studying the history of that medium? And if you're writing a comedy-based female lawyer explores the world show, isn't it obvious? Uh, what you should at least be considering watching a couple episodes of to see what kind of tone they struck and what you maybe don't want to do, right? There are ways to take reference points and establish what it is you don't want to do as well as what you want to do. And that's that's just one of those answers that jumped out at me. is like, huh, no kidding. You didn't put anybody in your writer's room that was seasoned enough to have any reference point to that. Okay, interesting, fair enough. Um, so I think that was in and of itself a kind of, eye-opening answer, but we will certainly see whether or not the show turns out good. Uh, what else we got here? Some shows that have bad CGI are awesome. Absolutely. In some cases, it's actually endearing. It's the bad storytelling that gets me. Oh, sure. Like nobody's going and watching the CW shows for good visual effects, right? But I still like, uh, what is it? Uh, Superman and Lois. Uh, I think that's a pretty well done show. Special effects are not why you show up to that show. Uh, but it tells a good and interesting story. Uh, I find it surprising that people would be aghast that people can have professional conflicts and disagreements in a workplace. It's part of work. Move along, I say. 
sure. Right. Well, I mean, I think you can always have conflicts. I don't know what that's in reference to specifically. Uh, Var Cash, def uh, definitely concerned for the story. Was before the interview, but the lack of attack and honesty made me more inclined to check it out. But then others are attacking the audience from the company. I, I don't know about that. Uh, Disney has had somewhat fractured relationships with a lot of its fan bases for a while now. Uh, I haven't seen anything about that in respect of She-Hulk. I did see some articles about review bombing. I did point out on Twitter yesterday that it also had review booing. You just had random people putting in tens and ones. I don't know why the internet is so silly, folks, but it is silly. Um, so don't take IMDb scores too terribly seriously, especially for shows that aren't out yet. Um, but that is kind of happening uh, behind the scenes. Co-counsel says, I think my reasonable mind is going to differ here. I don't think an artist creator needs to know about previous material as research for inspiration. Fair enough, co-counsel. I think it reflects poorly on the individual for not even acknowledging what came before and building on the shoulders of the giants. But I can certainly understand the converse there. So I take your disagreement as well-reasoned and put forth in the spirit in which it is intended. Uh, it's like using the cliff notes to do a book report. Love the transparency, but good Lord, does this sound like a badly put together show? No law writers for a law show. Gives me flashbacks to execrable law scenes in Daredevil. Yeah, I feel like you should go and put together the skills you need to get one of these things done. I probably would have had somebody that had some familiarity with legal shows. Maybe not Allie McBeal, co-counsel, but at least some concept of how these things are generally put together. Um, and interestingly enough, I think it, trials are one of those things that are often done as kind of writing uh, experiments or writing assignments in, in you know, uh, script writing class and things like that. Uh, Hoglaw Unrelated, but Embracer Group just announced a lot of acquisitions. Why are you spoiling my virtual legalities, Ray X? What? What's the deal? <laughs> Among them, there's licensing rights for Lord of the Rings. Maybe it's worth a virtual legality. It's not licensing rights. They bought the whole thing. Uh, yes, it's going to be virtual legality. Uh, spoiler alert, that is the video currently planned for today is talking about Embracer Group and trying to find a fun pun for embracing the Lord of the Rings. If you got anything, chat, let me know. Maybe you can title my punny virtual legality episodes. Something to look forward to. Um, uh, the Heathers, that's awful because they probably destroyed the storyline taking out the She-Hulk scenes. One would assume that whatever was written to have She-Hulk in there to talk about identity and relationships to other people and the world around her was based on that and removing it changes things, right? And I tend to agree, the Heathers. That's my biggest concern is it's like, well, I can certainly see how a show gets hacked apart and doesn't have that thematic resonance. We saw it writ large with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I know people come in and say, well, they had a plot line that had a pandemic in it and a virus. And it's like, that's fine. Uh, but that's an excuse that doesn't help uh, give apology for what they actually put out there in the world. It, ex it gives an excuse. It explains why what we got was crap, but it doesn't change the fact that it was crap. Um, so if that does happen here for saving money reasons, well, uh, that would be a real shame. If they have a good show and otherwise uh, they don't have enough She-Hulk in it, that, that would be a shame. Uh, I appreciate the honesty. Too bad she'll never work with Disney again because of this interview. Honestly, it did strike me as the kind of, we have to talk about what just was in Variety this morning kind of interview. Um, but who knows? Some people are positing that she went out there to try to take some of the heat off of She-Hulk. I don't think it does that, uh, but some people are positing that. Uh, Tiny Tribal says, I agree the writers didn't do their own homework, which is ridiculous. Age shouldn't stop you from watching older films and movies. Shaking my head. 
Well, as you heard from co-counsel here, there is a reasoned other side of the coin, which is, hey, I don't even want to pollute my brain with the thoughts or tone or concepts of others. Um, I don't agree with that, uh, but I do think that you can have that position. Uh, it's not really that strongly presented in the answer in the Variety article, other than to suggest that she doesn't like answering that question so much. Uh, Mr. Storm 2000 says, I haven't watched Marvel stuff for a while now, but the honesty on display here makes me kind of want to see how it turned out. Probably not, though, since I'd have to sub to Disney Plus for it. I don't know. Does Disney Plus have a trial? Usually they have a trial if you're interested in turning it on for like a week. Um, but yeah, see, I mean, and that's the counter side of things. Hey, that person seemed really honest about the warts on the project. That makes me want to give it more of a chance than the corporate speak. Uh, and I can understand that as well. Uh, Joe Hill, in the comics, she's always representing mutant discrimination, civil rights stuff. I have a hard time knowing they won't be there. Well, I mean, we don't have mutants in the MCU right now, right? So She-Hulk, you say, is interacting with like the X-Men a lot. I don't know any of this, folks. I apologize for the comic history. I think that would work uh, pretty well. Uh, we'll see what kind of cases she deals with. Certainly, it seems like that's not the spotlight of She-Hulk attorney at law based on those answers, but we'll, we'll have to see what's happening. Um, Legal Legal is probably fuming at the lack of legal expertise on the show. Perhaps, I expect Legal Legal will do a video on, on She-Hulk law. Uh, we will see. Maybe I'll do a video on She-Hulk Law. Who would want to see that? Let me know in the chat if you would want to see me do episode-by-episode analyses of the She-Hulk attorney side of things. Uh, I It's a comedy, so I, you don't want to be too harsh on it, but yeah, possibly. Um, let's see here. I'm already by the title of the show. She-Hulk seriously reminds me when they made the Ghostbusters but she's in with women. She-Hulk already exists. Like, She-Hulk's already a character. She-Hulk is a cool deck in Marvel Champions. Um, so it's not like trying to get in there and, and change Hulk. Hulk is still in this uh, show. So you don't have to worry about that. And I think there could be fun with a lawyer superhero. Um, I'm a little biased in that regard. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's a Ghostbusters type situation. Um, I'm already taken as none of the writers being experienced in writing trials. Also, one point is that Ally McBeal is probably not super well known outside the U.S. That's fair. Um, but I mean, I think this is being produced in the U S uh, I actually don't know what kind of cachet Ally McBeal has outside of the United States. You all can tell me on that score. Uh, Avatar is a good example of CGI can help, but things tend to fall apart over time because the story isn't strong enough. Yeah. I mean, Avatar has a very simplistic story, uh, but still looks gorgeous. Um, so that's nice. Uh, what else here? We're going to go on a little bit. I know a lot of people have a lot of thoughts here. I think that's awesome. Calling a Callista cameo in season two is suggested by Feige. Maybe. I don't know if they've announced that there is a season two. Most of these don't have second seasons. This does seem to be the one that could. Um, for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, plotline with the pandemic could have been deeply meaningful for people at the time. They chickened out, in my opinion. Oh, I think they definitely chickened out. But remember, I mean, I think that's early 2020 when that, when that comes out, right? Mid-2020. Uh, so I don't necessarily blame them. That's an absolute political mess at that point in time. Um, can confirm Ally McBeal doesn't age well. Well, and I still think that's an interesting data point um, is to go and, and check that out. I, I was never a big fan of Ally McBeal when it was on, but I still think it would be something I would want to at least check in on. Uh, that Sarah says, I just finished a 50-page white paper on history and the evolution of government contracting law in California. Wow. But Marvel can get, can't get a writer who knows anything about law. It sounds like they didn't want it. That, they, that wasn't what they were focused on in terms of populating their writer's room. 
But wow, history and evolution of government contracting law in California. That sounds fun, that Sarah. I, I might be the only person on earth that would respond to it that way. Uh, but it sounds very interesting. Uh, She-Hulk law for the win. Yeah, we'll just do a, she, oh my gosh, yes. I think these are people saying I should be covering postmortems of She-Hulk attorney at law. Whew, I don't know. We're, we're coming to these things spontaneously here, live. Uh, not on TV, but on the internet's version of TV. Uh, Ali was all over the world, was super popular on German and Austrian TV. I learned something new and interesting about Germany and often Austria a lot here in Hangouts and Headlines. Super popular in Germany. Ali McBeal, no kidding. All right, interesting. Uh, what else we have here? Avatar is Pocahontas in space. I think it's Fern Gully, but similar concept. Uh, from Germany, no idea about Ali McBeal. Folks, what are we doing here? I got wildly different answers for Ali McBeal's international presence. Are you telling me that we have different individual experiences even within our own countries? <sighs> My God. I can't even collectivize you on a countrywide basis. It's crazy. It's crazy. Is Calissa Flockhart still married to Harrison Ford? I have no idea. I think so. I don't know. Um... I don't think Ally McBeal is rerun as much as other TV shows either. Well, it was, let's see, it was, it was on Fox, but I don't know if it was produced by Fox. So I don't know if Disney has the rights or not. Um, She-Hulk is definitely not produced for the U S only. Very true. Too young to have heard of it anyway, rolling on the floor, <laughs> laughing emoji. Yes. Yes. You're all too young to even know what uh, Ally McBeal is. Uh, Ally McBeal was also popular here in France. And now like six chats later, there will be someone from France that says, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Uh, Emily says it feels unclear what they were interested in, not law not She-Hulk. So what is actually driving the plot forward? I think if you go and you look at that paragraph on identity, and if you actually watch the pilot, they are very interested in having a show, uh, discussing the trials and tribulations of being a female professional of a certain age, I would say. Uh, would be what I would say the thrust is and the identity changes that in at least for She-Hulk would come from looking different uh, and, and having some things to say about that. Like I said, even though it's described as a comedy, it's it's very motivated in its kind of thesis points um, for for a TV show of this type. There's a number of references to that kind of concept um, about uh, gender differences, about women and men. Um, and I suspect that's going to be a topic of conversation, uh, in analyzing the show, knowing YouTube as I do. Um, so uh, your mileage may vary as to whether or not that works for you. Uh, but it is pretty out front, uh, in what they're putting together here. Agree on Fern Gully. I like Avatar. I, I like Avatar a lot. Um, in particular, I really like the score. I think it has some of the, the best kind of epic, um, music. Uh, in one of these types of movies, uh, and it continues to look great. Uh, so we're looking forward to Avatar 2 here in Hogue House. Um, uh, James Cameron doesn't miss for us, but it's definitely very evocative of prior stories. It's not trying to be very tricky uh, with those stories, but I think it's a well-done movie. So you can't convince me of anything else on Avatar. Uh, sorry about that, except for M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar. Do not watch. Uh, let's see. Terrence Karan says, well, thing is, every TV series from 20 years ago is going to be considered not popular for people under 30, LOL. Yeah, kind of. Um, but you still have reference points to those kinds of things. Um, so it's interesting. 
It's interesting. Uh, that Sarah says she will send me her 50 page white paper on government contracting on California. Absolutely. I, I will check it out. I really will. Um, I can't say it'll be a video. I don't know if we can make an exciting video about it, uh, but I will absolutely check it out. And that's uh, that's very cool. Um, okay. So uh, excellent thoughts, everybody. You all want me to do She-Hulk. My wife disagrees with me. We're having a great morning. Uh, and I don't blame anybody for any of their thoughts here. Let's talk about something completely non-controversial. And that is, of course, Elon Musk. So Musk seeks to question Twitter employees who count bots source very interesting way to do headlines, right? Like they don't even bother with the, like, as said by a source or otherwise, it's just like, here's the news. And like, almost looks like HTML just at the end source. I don't, I don't know. The purpose of this though, is not the actual story that we just saw uh, in the last 24 hours or so. So this is just setting the groundwork on Reuters. Musk is in the process of discovery. So if you don't know, we've got a lot of videos in this space talking about it. Twitter has sued Elon Musk to force him to buy their company Elon Musk has countersued to get out of the deal. Um, and now we are put into the discovery phase of litigation, meaning that both sides get to go and collect information from people in Elon's organizations, from people in Twitter's organizations. And so one of the things that Elon Musk went and did is he asked for establishment of who the custodians of information at Twitter are for the various questions that are at issue, including how to, how to count bots, who gets fired, what product development looks like at Twitter. Um, and so in a letter filed under seal last Tuesday, Musk's lawyers asked the judge overseeing the case to compel Twitter to hand over the employee names so that the defense team can question them and collect documents from those same employees. As of, I believe it's yesterday, it might be the day before, it's the 15th, I did my best folks. You get an order from the court that says, Having reviewed the defendant's letter dated August 9th and the plaintiff's letter dated August 11th, so they're fighting under seal, so we don't get to see the specifics there about who they have to make available, it is hereby ordered that the plaintiff is required to collect, review, and produce documents from Kayvon Biekpor. The plaintiff is not required to collect, review, or produce documents from any other of the defendant's proposed 22 additional custodians. So it sounds like Elon Musk either asked for 22 or 23 people at Twitter to provide documents, depositions, answer questions, whatever it might be. And the judge says you only have to do this one out of that set and then points out that Elon Musk already has access to a lot of people. The plaintiff need only collect, review, and produce documents from the 41 custodians to which plaintiff has agreed and Mr. Biekpor. So this is the news item. And how would you report on this if you had your own journalistic outlet? Would you say the judge is ordered uh, Twitter to turn over documents from a person? Would you say Elon Musk loses 22 or 21 of his attempts to get this information? Well, if you said both, uh, well, you're on the internet. So if we look at how Reuters reports on this, they say judge orders Twitter to give Elon Musk former executives documents, which they did, right? This is correct. Uh, and then you have a little description of this and you find out that this individual in question uh, was uh, the head of consumer product. He was fired during this period of time between when the merger agreement was signed and now. Um, and McCormick says in her order that she's denying Musk's request for the other 21 people. That's the Reuters report. Pretty fact-based, but that denial of 21 people gets to the bottom of things. And this is kind of, I don't know, I would consider this to be pro-Elon uh, Musk. Uh, it's neutral-ish, but it's judge orders Twitter to give Elon Musk something that is 
sounding like an Elon Musk win to the person that's just kind of skimming through these things, sounding like a Twitter loss. Twitter tried to fight it. Judge orders them to do this thing, right? Well, as I suggested, you can frame it exactly differently, right? If we look at something like Law 360, we get Chancery, which is the name of the court in Delaware. Okay, is just one more Twitter record keeper from us. So here they highlight it's just one more, right? He's ordered to, Twitter's ordered to give more information here, pro Elon, just one more. It's kind of mitigating this thing, right? Says, well, Elon Musk does get a little bit more information, but he asked for a lot more. And you see in the first line, billionaire Elon Musk got access to only one of the 22 additional employees he sought documents from. And if that's not pro Twitter enough, we can slant it even a bit more if it ever loads up on our screens. We're blank right now. We'll reload this one from Ars Technica, which actually puts as its headline, if we can ever find it, Musk wins one, loses 21 others, as judge denies access to many Twitter records. So <clears throat> we really run the gambit here. Judge orders Twitter to give Elon Musk executive documents. He just wins one more. He loses 21, right? And they give the summary here in Ars Technica, and they talk about this particular individual uh, as being the head of product. Uh, Musk's response to Twitter's lawsuit says Biekpour was the head of all things consumer-facing for Twitter and took a high-profile role on Twitter's investor calls. He was therefore one of the Twitter executives that the Musk parties believe would have been most intimately involved with how Twitter calculated MDAU, which if you followed along with that paperwork with us at all, you know is at the heart of Musk's complaint uh, against Twitter. And so... When you are looking at this, all of these are true, <clears throat> but you can see, because this is still headlines, exactly what happened here. Now, you might also ask yourself from a legal perspective, and hey, we're a legal channel, why does this happen? Why does the court make these decisions? Well, one, the court gets a great deal of discretion in deciding the scope of discovery. And if we go and we look at the Delaware discovery rules, right, of course, Del R. Civ P. Super Court 26, right, as we know, there's discovery methods here, and then it says that the court can limit the discovery unless otherwise limited by the court uh, in accordance with these rules. The scope of discoveries as follows. It's everything that is relevant to any party's claim or defense and proportional to the needs of the case, including the existence, description, nature, custody, condition, and location of any documents. So it has to be relevant to what you're fighting about and it has to be proportional. And the court can limit these things for a lot of reasons, all within the court's judgment. But the biggest one here is, it doesn't have to allow discovery that it finds to be unreasonably cumulative or duplicative. You don't need 20 people to say the same thing for you. You don't need anything other than the head of product who would have been doing all this stuff per your own uh, claims in your own countersuit, right? So what appears to have happened here, and we're speculating because this is all basically under seal, and as you can see, the court doesn't explain itself here, is that it would seem like the folks that were asked to provide information are almost certainly duplicative of the higher ups that you could otherwise bring in. If you bring in the vice president of consumer product, then you're probably covering the information that the line workers would have on these particular things, especially if you've already got 41 other custodians, there could be looking at the court's situation. Hey, you're, you're bringing in people that are too low level at this kind of question. If you're otherwise getting the people that should know everything that happens below them, is that the right answer? I can't say, but that's what's happening from a legal perspective. And depending on your bent, you report on it in very, very different ways. So I just wanted to highlight this for you because I did see it happening in real time as these articles were coming out. And I said, wow, 
you don't usually get to see it this obvious. Judge orders Twitter to give Elon Musk former executives documents. Musk wins one, loses 21 others. Like those are wildly different approaches to the same story. And so that's just the little extra seasoning on top of the She-Hulk interview sandwich for today. But I wanted to point it out because I did think it was an interesting aspect of this whole set of stories. So what do you guys think? Uh, are you at all uh, taken aback by that difference in reporting? Uh, did you suspect that from places like Ars Technica as opposed to Reuters and things like that? I I'm always very interested in how you all are reacting to these situations out there in the wild uh, because I have my way of seeing things and other people have different ways of things, seeing things and all are interesting uh, and I'm always interested in them. So I just want to make sure I grab some of these super chats and memberships, make sure I try not to miss any of them. I know I do from time to time. Please just continue to flag me if I accidentally go past one of yours. Um, but otherwise, let's take a look at those while people put in their other comments. Draco83, they should have just had David E. Kelly advise on She-Hulk. David E. Kelly, I believe, is responsible for Ally McBeal and certainly a bunch of the legal shows that had that kind of tone. Could have. Could have. The king of casuals. Could a president fly all ATF employees to Texas to question them about a gun registry and then prosecute them all in that circuit if they lie since they lied in Texas? I I don't I don't know. Why why would it be different to lie in Texas? You mean to prosecute them in a Texas court? Maybe. We have all sorts of sovereignty issues with respect to federal employees and state employees. I would need a lot more to go on there. Uh, and this is why lawyers always have difficulty with hypotheticals. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> don't know what the purpose would be, uh, but um, certainly in various jurisdictions, you have all sorts of issues with the feds and the states on very many different questions. Uh, that, Sarah, uh, I just, I, I read this one, but we'll say it again. Just finished a 50-page white paper. Sounds interesting. She's going to send it when it's all finished up. And sibling creature with a super chat, super sticker kind of thing. Very much thanks uh, for helping support the channel. I really, really appreciate it. So let's get to some of more of those comments. Uh, Twitter, because I said so, trust me. Musk, show me. Twitter, no, we said so, and that makes it so. Well, it certainly depends on which direction you're coming from on the information pipeline and everything else. Uh, as I said at the top of the last video I did on Elon Musk, they both appear to be a little bit shady as to what they're saying and why. Uh, Varkesh says he definitely won as the court judge believes Musk questions were valid and not being answered. They're not going overboard though. The quality of the win depends on the info found. Um, I don't know that the judge has tipped their hand on this yet on that particular question. You're supposed to take a pretty wide open view of discovery, uh, but it hasn't been kicked out yet. Um, and so I tend to think Elon Musk does have the right to ask certain questions of this stripe. Uh, and it just depends on exactly how far each side went here. Uh, Mrs. Hogla has to go do kid things. Goodbye, co-counsel. Thank you for all the help this morning. Um, not surprised by the variety. Expected it to be a bit more varied, though. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, not too surprising, says Mr. Upper Torso, but still curious to see the same info being characterized based on the angle desired. Yeah, isn't that an interesting part of looking at these headlines? And I think if you only ever see one headline on any given topic, you get kind of skewed. And this happens to me, too. Um, and so I always recommend kind of seeing what other people are reporting on the same kind of story. Uh, having seen Ars Technica spiral over the years, I'm not surprised. They have appeared a couple of times in headlines for some pretty crazy stuff. Absolutely not taken a bat. Judge splits the executive bot baby. Harry Harvey, I feel like a lot of press media is published posturing and paid for mouthpieces these days. 
It's a little too nihilistic for me. It all just comes across as different versions of paid spin. Yeah, it's got that a little bit. Could have been even worse. Could have been something like Judge Denies 21 of Musk's requests. I think that's actually one out there. Without mentioning the one, after Depp be heard, I'm expecting absolutely anything. Rolling on the floor, laughing emoji. Are we really surprised by the difference in reporting facts? Well, we're surprised, but I'm still, I'm constantly taken aback. I constantly want to see something approaching fact-based reporting on news items of this type. And so, yeah. Emily says, the problem, in my opinion, is that so many people only read headlines and not the actual articles. So misinformation gets spread based on just those headlines. And headlines are naturally clickbaity these days. Yeah, headlines are a problem. That is one of the reasons I called this headlines. Because even more than the substance of the article, and we've found plenty of times in this space <clears throat> where the substance of that article doesn't even match up with the spin that's put on by a headline, that people go on Twitter or they go on social media, they see the headline, they incorporate, they metabolize the concept presented by the headline, and they move on with their day. People are busy, uh, but we could do better with even just those headline pieces. Uh that Sarah says, I need to get the internal Twitter Elon gossip from my sister. She's an OG Twitter alum that's still in the know on the sea level behind the scenes happenings. Yeah, that would be interesting. Very interesting. Indeed. Uh, Laura says, it seems like most reporting isn't just reporting, but facts and opinions, even when it shouldn't be. We have to keep our eyes open and use our judgment when reading anything. We sure do. That's part of the fun. Uh, I wish we didn't have to do quite so defensively. Uh, but yes, absolutely. We have to keep our thinking caps on. Skew, have I seen the Sandman yet? Thoughts? Yeah, we've talked about it, not extensively, but at least a little bit in this space. I absolutely loved it. I had never read the comic books. I had no expectations whatsoever, and I found it to be ridiculously imaginative, and I want the dream's voice. So there you go. <laughs> I love the Sandman. Highly recommend it. Uh, I feel like the LOTR acquisition is an embracerment. We're going to work on that pun, but I think it'll be a pun. Yeah. Hogue the Eternal Optimist, lol. I got to keep that positivity. I'm not going to be broken now at my age. So I'm going to keep that positivity until I die. Uh, I really want the She-Hulk show to be good. Yeah, absolutely, Abigail. I want everything to be good. You may have noticed my fondness for Law stuff. And thank you for being here. Yeah, I hope it's good. Um, I have my issues with Pilot, but not strong issues. Could be a good show still. Uh, so we will see. I loved Ally McBeal in the UK. All of Europe loved Ally McBeal. In fact, going to pop it on my list to rewatch now to see how it has aged. The Starbucks opening scene was a cultural moment in the place I worked. Huh. Uh, what else we have? Loved Sandman, says Carrie. Absolutely. New Amendment, no cl more clickbait headlines. That would have an issue. That, that would be interesting to see get past. <laughs> who decides, right? The problem is always who watches the watchers. What is a clickbait headline? What is disinformation? What is misinformation? That's always where the rubber hits the road is like, who is making that determination? I, I would rather it be us laughing at them on YouTube than some agency somewhere shutting down publications for that kind of stuff. That's just my opinion. Reasonable minds can differ on that score. Uh, I've seen it so many times, says Ardo. Both stories state facts, but the perspective and especially the headline skews the whole thing. So the stories with the same facts are completely different. Yep, I completely agree. Skew says, can't wait for season two of The Sandman. I hope they announce it. I never know with Netflix whether you're going to get another season of anything that I like. Uh, so I hope they announce it pretty soon. I'm keeping my hopes up for She-Hulk. Yeah, I am too. Let's hope, let's hope so. After you say goodbye, says Shireen, waving. I am turning on She-Hulk. And I actually think that's a fantastic way to finish today's episode. So once more, as a reminder, we aren't going to be doing Hangouts and Headlines next week. So if you see some headlines that we're not going to actually get to that week, 
send them to my DMs. I will try to bookmark them, have them prepped. Uh, anything interesting, we're going to have that off week. Super necessary <laughs> to keep everything afloat. We're going to have some fun, finish the summer before my kids go back to school. Um, and we're going to do that. And then we'll be back for Hangouts and Headlines after that week. Otherwise, I hope you all have a fantastic Thursday. Whether you're going and watching She-Hulk after this or figuring out where on the world on the internet Ally McBeal is available, I hope you have a wonderful day. And I will see you on what is ostensibly casual Friday in Hangouts and Headlines. But I have to say, this might just be casual week in Hangouts and Headlines because we're having fun. We're talking about various things. Uh, and hopefully you are having fun too. Everybody, thanks so much for hanging out with me this morning and have a great rest.